A relatively new archetype in the arena of pop culture is that of the gamer. We all know them. Our cousins who come to family gatherings only to sit in the living room playing Mario Kart. The romantic partner who thinks downloading the newest Halo game is an adequate anniversary gift. Or your friend who failed out of college only to make more money than you on their Twitch channel. Gamers are everywhere, including pop culture. How is this subculture portrayed in movies, documentaries, and books? Does pop culture accurately capture the passion, aesthetic, and lifestyle of these joystick warriors? Join the Bonsai Boys, Jay and Travis, as they peep into the world of gamers in this four-part series, The Gamer Set. Okay, Jay, what's the um, what's the most difficult video game that you've ever that you've ever played? Um, or growing I, up, I should say, growing up. Growing up, um, it, it's it'll probably have to be the the one that's that's notorious for being for being difficult. And that was uh, Atari's ET for for the Atari twenty six hundred, and it was just I don't remember what made it so hard. But it was it. It's known for it, and you had to. So the game was you had to pick up the little all the pieces of the speak and spell. You had to find them all, and then when you find them all, you, you can call the mothership because you know you're you're playing as ET, and you call the mothership, and it, it comes down and gets you. Uh, I believe you phone the mothership, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, technicalities. <laughs> yes, yes. You, you use the cos the cosmic phone and uh mothership comes and off you go and it was just that last piece and i just remember having it was just yeah it was crazy it took me a long time and i finally did it though um well how about you what was the hardest one you remember uh i think for me um it was there was a ninja turtles game uh maybe it came out like 87 uh and it was hard as shit. Like, you started off in the sewers, and you had four lives. So each life was a different turtle. Uh, and you start Ooh. go through the sewers. That level I could beat. Then the next level was, like, a water level, where the sides of the, uh, the, the game board... This is how little I know about I'm like, the game board? Um, they were electric. So you had to <sighs> dodge all these enemies, but you couldn't... But you're swimming, so you, you, it wasn't... You weren't, you weren't buoyant, Jay. So you had to constantly yeah. hit the button. You were constantly draining your life. I remember getting past that level one time. And you only have four turtles to make it through this entire game. And I didn't know how many levels there were. And I just recently found out uh, that this game only had like three levels. So I had made it to, <laughs> I had made it to the final level. It's just that uh, it was just too hard. It was too hard, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so... Is there any, can you remember any water level of anything that you liked? No, because they, they, water they, levels always sucked. It always, it was always that same like sensation. You like tap the button and then that would send you too high and you'd hit something or you wouldn't tap it and you'd sink too quickly. And there was always a tiny little passage that you had to kind of get through, like either whether you're <laughs> Mario or, or a Ninja Turtle or whatever it is. Water levels suck. Yeah, dude, they were awful, awful. 
Yeah. The best part of any video game was the vehicle levels, where it wasn't a vehicle game, mm. but it was the section of the game where you got to be like in that Ninja Turtles game. At one point, you get to drive the turtle van. Nice. Yeah. Who doesn't want to drive the turtle van, man? Yeah, yeah. I remember in in like those Star Wars games for like the Super NES. You know, you'd be Luke, and then after a while, you got to the the land speeder part, and you got to drive the land speeder. You know, and yeah, yeah, the vehicle ones were, all, <laughs> were always the best. He's like, man, I'm really speeding down. Look at me, man. What was it? A, was it Endor? The moon of Endor. Hey, oh, yeah, yeah, when you're, when you're the, the, the speeder bike. Technically, yeah. it's the moon of Endor. It's not, en- or is it, en- what is it? Is it the moon of Endor or is it, or is it Endor itself where the little Ewokies live? Um, it was... Think carefully, Jay. A lot of people listen to this podcast. (laughs) No, they they lived on Endor, but Endor was a moon. It was a forest moon. Oh, what was it the moon of? I don't know. That I don't know. That's insignificant. Red Squadron 1, looking for Travis. Yeah, yeah, hey, hey, guys. Uh, I'm here. I'm I'm ready to battle. Uh, We we need you, buddy. We need your, your backup. I'm here. You're on the moon of Endor? Wait a minute. Which moon? Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Bonsai! Jay, what are we talking about today for set two in our gamer set where we're talking about um, how pop culture portrays the gamer, the archetype of the gamer in pop culture, whether it be books, whether it be documentaries or films or music. How is the gamer portrayed? What are we talking about today, Jay? Today, today we will be talking about the King of Kong. A Fistful of Quarters, which uh, came out in 2007. It's a documentary about uh, competitive gaming of, uh, well, I guess now it's retro games. I don't think it was a retro when they were doing it, right? Or were they still kind of retro? Yeah, that was still, still, yeah, retro, still retro, yeah. I think they even yeah. used the term kind of retro gaming on there. Because they, refer, was, they yeah. refer to five games that, hey, if you, if you want to be considered the top, of the gaming world you have to be either good at donkey kong defender pac-man miss pac-man galaga or those are the games yeah yeah pac-man miss pac-man galaga donkey kong defender yeah i think they barely qualified as retro games back then but whatever yeah well this yeah. was like in the early 2000s this was in the early 2000s when this documentary was shot 2007 mm-hmm. was its release i'm sure it was over several years or at least a year yeah, that, that's one thing that was kind of weird because uh, it's it seemed a lot older than it actually was. Right. I don't know if it's a stock they used uh, when for filming it, but it did feel it wasn't it wasn't sleek, you know, yeah. the way you see some docs now. I guess we're used to maybe like the Netflix docs where you know they have a a better budget. I think this was kind of just almost look like camcorders at some some points and maybe it's because <laughs> yeah, all their yeah. settings were they were in 
retro arcades that made it feel like the 80s. And these people's, that, these yeah. people's fashion, even though it was That's early was 2000s, was... <laughs> they weren't was, exactly the cutting edge of, the, of fashion. The dweebs, they're dorks! <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's what kind of confused me a little bit. Um, but then, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I'm pulling this up here. Do you have it pulled up here on uh, Who Produces Doc? I forgot his name here. Produce. One second. I just had it up here. I wrote it down. King. I mean, directed it. Oh, Seth Gordon. Seth Gordon. Seth Gordon read mm-hmm. it, and he's attributed as a writer. But I guess mm-hmm. all documentaries still have a t- writer technically on there. and Because, I mean, they, they construct the story you know right and the arc of the story and and things like that so you had never seen this correct no and i hadn't i i went in here not knowing anything about this yeah yeah yeah. good good so um but i i haven't been let's just i want to start things off by saying i haven't been this emotionally invested in a documentary (laughs) For a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good. There's something about yeah. it. It's just like, uh, you're just, you're like rooting. Like, no, these people are so unlikable. And and moments they're likable. And it's just, it's just so, they're so passionate about, about gaming. Yes, yes. And I think everybody kind of went, I think they all kind of went through their little unlikable phase. You know, like you, sometimes you're on this guy's side, sometimes you're on this guy's side, and so, you know, um, but anyway, so do you care if I just go through like a, a yeah, quick yeah, little run absolutely. through for if anybody's never seen this? So once again, the, the documentary is called The King of Kong, Fistful of Quarters, and it's it's between two guys. Um, it's a competition between two guys and Steve their, Weeby and Billy Mitchell. Yeah, old Billy Mitchell. And uh he okay so these guys are 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 competing for the top score of donkey kong and one of the guys is kind of like the the scenester of of the competitive gaming world he's he's beloved he's apparently he's he's kind of rich it's kind of what they try to make it out to seem and he's he's popular, he's charismatic, and the, the, this little gaming world like really loves and respects this guy. And then so you got this other guy that lives like in the Midwest, and he's kind of a nobody as far as the gaming world, and he just decides that he's gonna try and beat this guy, uh Billy, what did you say? Billy Mitchell? Billy Mitchell. Um Billy Mitchell's top score of Donkey Kong. So he kind of just buys a Donkey Kong machine uh, in his garage. He sets up, he sets up a video camera and he, he videotapes himself uh, doing, playing Donkey Kong. And he ends up beating Billy Mitchell's high score who, who Billy Mitchell's had this high score for what, a couple decades. Ages. Ages. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so finally he beats him and he sends it to the official uh, uh, competitive retro gaming a society association and they poo poo it and they, they, they don't, they don't want to let him in. They don't want to and, validate the score. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to, they don't want to do anything to help this guy. They, they basically just kind of more or less accuse him of, of doctoring, cheating. doctoring the video. Yeah. 
Yeah, and not only did they doc he they he accused of doctoring the video, but apparently he used a rig like game. a motherboard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a motherboard that they didn't trust. And so the guy's like, you know what? I'm legit. I I'm coming to where you guys are because all these guys that uh, kind of revolved around this one arcade. Um, and gosh, I don't remember what it's called. Funhouse? Is that what it was called? Something, Something like fun, that. Yeah. And he goes there to to prove to these guys once and for all that he can do it live with everybody watching um and i, I that's all i'm gonna go that's okay. all i'm gonna go because i want to i want to talk about it okay um so so yeah so let me ask you this it, it, were you team weeby through, through the most of it or were you thinking oh no billy mitchell's the no oh a uh, team weeby team weeby uh when i first watched it because i watched it in 2007 when it came out team weeby jay this is how team weeby i was back in around 2002 uh 2007 2008 a friend and i we were in kind of like this joke like novelty like folk band right we go play at some bars and we went play like three or four shows and we recorded a couple of songs uh and i was working on uh a song uh, and as I watched it this time, you know, they, they bring up the, the name, uh, Steve Weeby a lot. They're like, Weeby, Weeby, Weeby. And I'm like, when? Like, you know, his name is so good. And I'm like, and I was like, wait a minute, dude, I tried writing a song about Steve Weeby. And I remembered the first verse. Would you like to hear the first verse about the song? I, yes, okay. very I much. I wrote it down. Uh, uh, my name's Steve Weeby, and I know it sounds dweeby. I'm beating Donkey Kong, and I make it look easy. Weeby. When I eat my mac and cheesy, I always wear a glove so I don't get greasy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's how much I love this doc and these characters and, and like how fun these characters are uh, that they set up in here. I mean, these are real people, but the way that the, the document uh, documentary uh, constructs them uh, it's it's so uh, dark side, light side. Uh, uh, it's so underdog and uh, uh, big. Uh, like it's 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 the human condition, but in this mm. microcosm of this retro gaming world, uh, and it's just it's fantastic. Uh, you team Weeby or you team uh, Mitchell? You know. I think I am team Weeby. However, I, I, I always feel sorry for, for the, the, the I, I, I always try to see where the other guy's coming from, you know, where the villain is coming from. Cause even yeah, though you're, he's not really a villain, you're, you're a but, huge Tiger King fan. You're, you're, yeah. like team, you're, you're, you're team Tiger King. <laughs> well, well, I don't want to go that far, but, <laughs> But Billy Mitchell is essentially the, the the would you say the protagonist? I guess Billy Mitchell is the antagonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah antagonist, yeah. antagonist. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And I I always try to be like, oh come on, it can't be. This guy can't be all that bad. And and you kind of start to feel, gosh, you know, because he he even Billy Mitchell himself says, you know, pretty much that this is kind of all I've got. You know, I I can't imagine this this kind of i can't imagine somebody coming and taking this away from me after i've had it for so long you know that's always the thing that scares me is being on top is is falling back down to the bottom again and and so the way he acts and the way he is 
story in this documentary it's coming from that perspective mm-hmm. and it just kind of makes it sad i'm just yeah. like man gosh that sucks <laughs> well what struck me the most uh on this viewing especially after our last uh, our first part of our gamer set where we talked about scott pilgrim one of the things we walked away with or we at least we talked about was the idea that scott pilgrim looked at uh gamers as kind of like these new hipsters right mm. they're kind of cool in their own way this seems to put more of like the reality of light on them how they are kind of socially dysfunctional maybe a bit on the spectrum a lot of these characters in this in this film and that they are they don't really know how to socialize beyond talking about video games in in a fan base way they're not cool hipsters in this uh-huh, uh-huh. They're, they're they're dorks like in the in the most pop viewed sense of the word dork when you see a dork the way they dress the way they talk uh their poor interaction skills their obsession with with small trivial things their uh 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 creating of small communities and secluding people from those communities and getting getting power from that you know yeah. creating a small community where they are the gatekeepers and then getting a thrill uh, by deciding who to let in and not to let in. Yeah. Yeah. They, they set up their own little kingdom where they're, yeah. the, they're the gatekeepers. There's a real kingdom. cool club on the other side of town where the real cool kids go to sit around oh, and talk dude. bad about the other kids. <laughs> it's one of my favorite screeching weasel songs. Um, it's a video what? game club and you're not part of it. We be. <laughs> Yeah. So let me ask you this. I want to go a little off topic. Do you remember comic books being this like this? Um, I I remember a time when they were. Uh, I because I grew up overseas and didn't have a local comic book shop. I didn't uh, have that that space in that community. I was buying them off spinner racks, and because and do, doing that in bookstores when no one was around so they couldn't see me buying it cuz i was embarrassed <laughs> by it so it was certainly something that i wasn't i i wasn't seeking out allies cuz it was it was like a secret shame yeah but if i had a comic book shop a gathering spot like these guys have with their arcade or or their online forums uh or their their they all have each other's phone numbers are constantly calling each other throughout this uh, <laughs> yeah. then i probably would be I saw yeah. it, I saw it probably more with punk punk rock the punk rock scene in our area or like the alternative scene in our area than I did through comic books. Really? Yeah. I know it's supposed See, to be the opposite, right? It's supposed to be like we're accepting, man. Come in here. But Oh no. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it See here it was to a point in you know in the early 90s it was and then by the mid to late nineties. Yeah. They, then you had the, the gatekeepers that came out of nowhere, you know, suddenly, and then you go to these shows and you're like, who are all these people? Where do they come from? And why are they looking at me up and down, you know, and, and shaking their heads, you know, cause I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. 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 I, I get what you're saying. It's the well, it, it, it almost I, always takes like the gatekeeper usually comes from like a elder statesman who kind of comes in and organizes it. And then you'll usually have a personality trait. So think of it as all uh, Oliver twist, right? You have Fagan, the, the older kind of 
leader king of the th- band of thieves, right? But then you had the best thief, Artful Dodger, right? And he's the one with the most personality, and he's kind of the gatekeeper. So you have the organizer, which in this is kind of Walter Day, the ref, the older, uh-huh. the older ref who had been, who was even older when these kids were getting into it. And he's the one who kind of consolidates it and creates the club. Here's the club. And then uh, Billy Mitchell becomes a star, very much in a uh, uh, Fagan and and artful Dodger way. And then poor Steve Wiebe is like Oliver, where he's like, please, sir, just small Donkey Kong. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. He's the he was like the outsider trying to kind of penetrate this little circle. Right. And you see that in a lot of like punk club scenes, too. Usually like be some like older manager who creates the space for the kids and then it'll be like kind of one band kind of bullies their way in and, and helps, you know, uh, get the scene a reputation. Uh, and then they decide who to let in. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it was uh, this little competitive gaming community was a really tight circle of, of people. And um, the, it revolved around Billy Mitchell and they did not want to see their, their king's crown taken away, I guess, in so many words. Let me ask you this. Is anything about this documentary and the way they're portraying the uh, video game world, or let's just make it more specific, the retro video game world, does anything about that make you want to be in that community? Is there anything appealing about this community at all? Or are you kind of watching it thinking like, oh, thank God I got other interests or i'm not like one of these guys which which is or is there something redeemable about this community that you're like oh man i I wish that i was in there i could i could do that i think okay so i think any community is is fun to have whether it be you know your your punk community your vinyl collector community or comic book collector community or in this case the the, the competitive gaming community the white and supremacist it's, it's, community you know just any kind of community clan. yeah <laughs> there's there's the clan <laughs> but um it's cool because it it gives people a sense of of belonging you know and it's it's fun being part of a community like that mm-hmm. but when you when your community is is so tight and almost becomes so uh kind of close-minded that you don't want to let anybody in or you you know then it just kind of becomes detrimental to the whole movement that mm-hmm. why you even started that community to begin right. with you know right. yeah what uh, what do you think yeah I, I watched this and i was just I kind of watched it thinking like, wow, I'm glad I'm not in the video games. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, I, there's, of course, this is just one video game community. And now this video game community is almost like 15 years old or, or older than that, you know, so it's very specific. But I was just like, wow, these, you have a bunch of socially outcast people, um, and one of the things about Steve Weeby, they really set up the character of Steve Weeby, the guy trying to get into this world and get recognized as this guy, you know, he played baseball. His wife says, you know, he's good with his hands, but everyone's like, he, he, he doesn't take defeat well. He doesn't communicate well. 
you really get a sense that you know he is kind of somewhat on the spectrum even the way he like, yeah, yeah. he he goes about train like the drums and it's all about pattern it's you know that pattern recognition that that rot memorization and oftentimes when that part of the brain is turned on the intuitive side that is needed for social interaction just isn't there and they talked about how he cries a lot like when he gets mm-hmm. frustrated he cries a lot and, and he he doesn't deal with defeat well um and a lot of these guys because you have him you have mitchell the the antagonist then you have a bunch of henchmen yeah all the hanger-ons yeah yeah and they seem just as socially awkward as well and you're just like oh my gosh and they're like all sitting around eating pizza and like watching video games i'm like oh man <laughs> old vhs tape yeah i'm just like oh my gosh yeah it's, it's see when, when we were my wife and i were watching this um I was telling him, I was like, it's cool that they're into this. You know, I, I'd rather have them into this than some bullshit thing like NASCAR football or something yeah. totally boring like that, you know, um, or something like pedestrian, you know. Oh, you know, me and my friends watch old, you know, Arnold Palmer golf games or whatever. Um, it's definitely cooler than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I'm glad that that exists but would do i ever get the 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 motivation to go because there's a couple of retro retro arcade uh places here in phoenix do i ever think i want to go and do this no well i will say i do like the environment of the retro arcade that is one thing i did like Uh in this this movie and just in general is i like the look and feel it's like a casino for kids right in fact right when, when they're fun. sitting down playing these games it looks like they're guys on slot machines in vegas just going on a run um yeah. but like you got your snacks you got your you know i love i love the setting of of an arcade you know um yeah it's no, one of no, my no. favorite yeah. environments it's just the people in there i'm just like goo. no yeah let me clarify that i Going to these arcades, yes, that would be fun. But I don't think I was specific enough. I don't want to be in the competitive yeah. scene. Yeah. That's where, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, never do I want to go in there and try to be like, I can beat this Papkin score. You know. Oh gosh, I mean, well, talk about that too. Uh, they really set up. They they spend some time setting up the game of Donkey Kong and really explaining the ins and outs of it. How most people don't last, like what three minutes on it no one really gets past yeah. it and no one gets past like the third stage unless you're top of your game right and there's like 18 levels to this thing and most people won't ever make it past the f- third stage like uh, you and i won't make it past the, f- the first stage you know um mm-hmm. and they talk about why that's hard and they, they get a lot of footage of the game you know showing springs and and how uh minus, minuscule the uh room you have for error is in here and th- to think about the pattern recognition and uh, the memorization involved in this, I'm like, wow, man, that's impressive. But like, that's a very, there's not a lot of to gain from that kind of commitment it takes to get that level of good. And so these guys have finally found a place where that, what maybe people would think is meaningless devotion to a skill gets celebrated you know uh-huh yeah that, that almost reminded me of like counting cards 
Yeah. You yeah, know? no, it absolutely is. You know, I mean, and every, then we have like Rain Man, right? You know, who's able to do that because he's just kind of on the spectrum there. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. totally what that reminds me of. And so is there a difference in, in, in let me ask you this, in 20 years, can you see people rallying around a game that's at like, uh, I don't even know, like Call of Duty? Do you think there's gonna be a bunch of dudes still playing Call of Duty um, as opposed to like like the guys that are oh, yeah. know, in their mid you think yeah. so? Yeah, yeah. I think people are are still big into James Bond for uh, uh, sixty four. I think that's still a a, a game that has a, dev, a devout following, um, and I think that games like Call of Duty and Halo, twenty years after they're being put out, will have that kind of status uh, as far as these people. Because I mean, it's it's a skill you de- when you get good at a game, you develop that skill. And then more games come out and that game kind of gets forgotten. But you put all that mm-hmm. work into getting good at that game. So if there's an outlet for that skill, you're like, yeah, I'm going to, I, I, I want to go. I mean, I've spent all my time getting good at this, you know. Uh, now, a lot of that stuff, I think those skills are transferable with modern day games. If you are good at, you know, uh bond goldeneye then you're probably good at halo and if you're good at halo it's easier for you to get good at call of duty or Fortnite. they you know they have a very similar skill set which i think these retro games have as well if you're good at galaga then you're probably a good chance you'll be a little bit better at donkey kong and 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 yeah uh, that's true uh, you know a lot of these guys in this video they have multiple games in which they are ranked in like I think Steve Weeby is also like Donkey Kong Jr. ranking, and I also maybe think like a Galaga ranking, and and same with uh, Billy Mitchell and a couple of his henchmen. They all have, uh, they're all kind of placed within these same five or six games that require the same skill set. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's just they seem like like different. I mean, I even though they're both video games, but it just seems like a different uh just like a di- a different approach you know one of them is like a game and the other one is just seems so much more immersive and it seems like the like like the call of duty type games kind of just get revamped and bigger and better and then people are like i don't want to play that first one that's crappy i want to play you know whatever the new one is and and then those other ones kind of just seem like 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 expired volumes you know like like you know what i mean that's just kind of the way it seems no i I think you're right i think but i think with the first person shooter games it's the older games, like the older versions of those games, let's say, let's take like a Halo 1, it seems like the technology hadn't caught up to the player's skills. So you could be, obviously, mm. skill was a big part of it, but say at some point, your skill was limited by how fast the game could run, uh, uh, glitches in the game, uh, uh, all that type of stuff. So, you know, maybe if it came down to the top 100 Halo players, it really came down to a matter of luck, equipment, and glitches as opposed to these retro games where it's very black and white, right? You know, you, it's how good are you at this pattern? 
that pattern is not going to change. That pattern is not going to glitch. It's going to, you know, they talk about it a little bit, like you, they said, you know, it does vary a little bit, you know, and you have to kind of be prepared for that. You could have a hard game of it. Uh, but it seems that these first person shooter modern games, it's, they're looking for the ultimate platform where their skill in first person combat shooter games can be undeniable and not yeah. reliant on the gameplay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ar- like archery, like it's all you. There is, ev- ev- you know, the final product of that, where the arrow a- lands, it's all based on small adjustments that you make in your body and your focus and your pull and your draw and your release. Uh, and that seems to transfer more to retro games as far as that hand-eye coordination, pattern recognition, oh, yeah. than it does for first-person shooter games. Than like, you know, uh, Grand Theft Auto or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, I'm gonna say this: I'm still up to the challenge. If anybody wants to take me on on Goldeneye, oh, you think you're pretty good at oh, Goldeneye, yeah. huh? Oh yeah, I can take. Just Have you played it in a while? Uh, no, <laughs> but when I did play it, I I'd probably play. It, I think like twenty four seven. Yeah, I used to play know? it a lot too. But I used to play with the same like six guys. And I wasn't mm-hmm. even the best of them, but I could beat them. So, like, uh, you know, like we 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 trade on and off. So I'm like, yeah, I think I'm pretty good. But I know that in my that small little six guy community, that's not going to transfer out into the the guys whose whole high school was playing it, and every day for like four years they were playing Goldeneye after school. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was you know at the prime video game age, you know where. I could devote all that time to yeah. it, you know. Not, Dude, I, I, you know, I remember that came out when we were also getting out and like on Friday and Saturday nights and getting the trouble. But there was a period there where we stopped doing that and we're just stay inside and play Goldeneye. Yeah. And it was like for <laughs> hours until your eyes were just like dry and red. And you're like, let's play it again. Let's play it again. Let's play it again. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't attached to the Internet. So it was just like. Oh, we got four people here today. So we get all four screens. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if, how what do you think about that whole thing of of gaming, you know, with uh, uh I don't even know what they call it, but you know, over the internet online we, gaming. Yeah, online crap. Yeah, yeah. I never I don't think I've uh we did the closest I ever got to it was in college uh in our dorm room at ASU. We had like a local landline, so we just hook our xbox into it and then you'd play with people on the asu network and so since it was a bunch of 18 year old boys a like a year after halo came out everyone was playing halo so you'd see the same you know 200 guys in tournaments all day and you and it'd be funny sometimes you go out to like a party and you'd be like somebody talking about halo like you play halo like yeah are you jay killer are you jay killer 49 (laughs) you're like yeah and you're like oh shit man like i play this you know uh so it was that's the closest i got but i've never been like on with like a headset um playing some someone in china yeah yeah i don't know man i don't i don't know i just don't see the appeal of that it gives me kind of stage fright too it gives me because i feel like they would be mean to me and it's from what i've seen or or heard people talking they are you know um and again this is this is on a on a global scale 
that community that's grown really tight and doesn't want to let you in, mm-hmm. you know, except it's on a global scale. Here's all these guys that are this good and they're going to pay attention to you because yeah. you suck. You're not worth their time. Yeah. You're just like, you're just you know? like fodder. You're like another point dead. You're like a respawn dead, respawn dead guys. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what I think, you know, and yeah, I have no interest, but anyway, so, so back to, to King of Kong, um, were you, can, can I ask you before you ask your question, I want to ask something about yes, Kong yes, yes. And your opinion on this. Cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a story right now with oh. King Kong in it. And my question is, I can't find this online. Do you think King Kong is copyrighted? Can you put the character King Kong into a story you're writing if you were gonna I've, get wanted to get that story published i i have believe Do- so. donkey kong i mean uh, maybe i don't maybe i can't call him maybe you can't call it king kong but i feel like you can use kong is kong just another word for gorilla in some language isn't kong like a from a chinese like a chinese mythological creature what does the name Kong mean? Uh, the name if Kong I'm... means bright and is of Chinese origin. Okay, that was just a regular... That's not like a uh, proper noun, fictional, gigantic gorilla. Uh, what does King Kong mean in Chinese? What is King Kong? I'm going think about something else, but I could have swore I heard that. There's a lot. I mean, no, no two answers are the same here when I'm looking this up. But I was like, man, I want I want to use. Uh, uh, I have a, a story idea for a story called Brides of Kong. Uh, you know, like about oh. a, the, the, a female prison camp. What happens in there while they are waiting to be sacrificed to Kong? You know, so kind of like a uh, six, like a like nineteen seventies exploitation kind of story. But they're all just kind of the prison camp of. Uh, uh, while they're waiting for so Kong isn't even really play a factor in it, but and they're like, oh, you can just use. I'm like, I can use a different monster, but like, no, it's got to be Kong, man. It's got to be Kong. Oh wow, that's interesting. But I'm like, can I, I use think Kong? So yeah, I wouldn't. I don't wouldn't say why why you couldn't because of the fact that he's been used so much. Right, I mean, there's so many different King Kong movies. I mean, back from like what was it like the the. Gosh, was it like the twenties or thirties? Thirties, old stuff. Thirty is the 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 first King Kong because it was written as a screenplay and then adapted into a novel after that. Um, and oh, weird. Yeah, yeah. It was. I don't know. We could, I'll get you off track, but I know I've been researching a lot about Kong and watching a lot of Kong stuff uh, to to prepare for uh, the story. But anyways, back to what you're going to say. Your question. You might have forgotten it already because I distracted you. No, no. Um, I was going to ask. Um, were you satisfied um, when, okay, so it ends when you, if you, if you, if you stop watching it, when the credits when are, are starting to roll, you kind of get the sense of, well, Billy Mitchell is still the king and Steve Wiebe has to just be comfortable with, well, I'm a nice guy and I did it right. And I know in my heart that I'm the true Donkey Kong yeah, champion. Yeah. Would, would you have been satisfied with that ending? 
uh without um without the, the, no the very, no i don't very. think so i don't think so <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, know, I know my wife and i were like no well the same can't the, the same way i wouldn't be satisfied if if darth vader just ends up running the galaxy at the end of star wars it's just like no like yeah, yeah. you have to prove to the world that you are the true king of kong steve weeby you know sometimes there's a part of me there's a, a small part of me that um, thinks in Jedi when that whole conflict thing was going on and Darth Vader is like, you know, Luke, you know, join me and we can overthrow the Emperor and we could rule the galaxy. There's a part of me that and I'm like, if I was Luke, I kept be like, you know what, Dad? Okay. Yeah, it's tempting. It's, <laughs> yeah, know? for sure. Yeah, because th- then you could even say, who who's to say then at that point when you're when you're ruling the galaxy with your dad, you couldn't kind of talk him into not being so evil. You know, yeah. be like, dude, dad, you, do we have to do this? You accomplish your goal. They, the rebels want to destroy the empire. Empire is destroyed. Now it might be replaced with a different empire, but I mean, that's essentially what the, the, yeah, I don't think, yeah. Cause yeah, there's no way Darth Vader is going to return it back into the Republic. Right. Which is what the, <laughs> what the rebel forces want. You could maybe talk him into like a nice, a representative you know? democracy, like a parliament, something. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like, like England. It's like, all up. right, you're the emperor, dad, but we do have an elected council of representatives from each of the planets, uh, a planetary parliamentary, if you will, uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so you're the figurehead. Okay, so we're going to give you all the due respect for that, and you can have all the pageantry involved. But when it comes to the day to day decision making, yes, yeah. that's, that's yeah, just just yeah, just come out to the balcony and wave, yeah, to the crowd. It seems like that's what he in. wants too. It doesn't seem like Darth, <laughs> it doesn't seem anything. Nothing in Anakin's past makes him think like, oh, you know what this guy really wants? He really wants. He really has some good ideas, and he just isn't in a position to put them into practice. That's mm. no. He has. He has. He makes no mention of being like, you know what? You know what would fix the galaxy is if everyone this happened. No. Yeah. He's a foot soldier. He's a foot soldier. Yeah. He's like thug, basically. Like Billy Mitchell. Billy Mitchell. Doesn't Billy Billy Mitchell look like Nick Cave? You know what? His hair is kind of similar. Yeah. He's tall. He's kind of got that skeletal, like very gaunt uh and he's got like heroin eyes too and he's very poised mm-hmm. you know like wherever he goes he's just he looks sharp in well, his eyes okay know? yeah good in his eyes with his little american yeah. flag ties i love yeah. it when he he always tries to bring in like analogies uh for like like uh he'll it, be like um what was when he, we first see him he's talking about oh uh oh, the red baron you know oh yeah uh, yeah you know who got the the most kills in World War II? Red Baron. You know who got the second most? No one knows. You wouldn't know. Because it doesn't matter about being second. No one cares. <laughs> he goes, and he's like, how, he'll always kind of look at the camera and be like, you get it? Yeah. You get it? Or we'll be like, have you noticed anything about what I'm wearing? What I always wear? This? I'm a patriot. Get it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> what are my initials? What are my initials? No. It's USA. Because yeah. USA is top. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he's that douche. He's that like, oh gosh, I know. I feel like I know a lot of Billy Mitchells. Uh, <laughs> everyone's had a teacher like Billy Mitchell who like just thinks they're the shit. And mm. class, 
What do I do? What do I drive? What kind of car do I drive? A Bentley. What do I do? I'm a teacher. How do I, so how do I own a Bentley? Think about it. Think about it. <laughs> I hustle. I hustle, guys. And it's like, oh, God, Mr. Rats, geez, get over always yourself. Got, always with the life lessons, yeah. you know. But they're always asking questions. Why do I smell so good? Why do I smell so good? Because I, I make money. Yeah. Money equal, you know, like stupid like connections to things. And he always, it's like, it, like he's uh, coming down from the mountains to deliver this wise, it's just repackaged, it's just repackaged like bullshit. Yeah, yeah, to the to the unwashed masses. You yeah, know. you want to know how I made it? Listen to me, listen yeah. carefully, because I got all the answers, <laughs> and you want all. You got, I got what you want. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm a very measured. Everything that comes out of my mouth. Some standout moments in this for me. Uh, are they all come? Most of them come from Billy Mitchell's. He brings the standout moments or his little henchmen. Uh, my favorite one is when you know uh, Steve Weeby. Uh, believe has broken the record right at that one point and uh um they have billy mitchell on the phone they did a really good job of getting the conversations you know on the phone he's like uh you should have a package arriving tonight uh. and they, he gives it to like the woman he goes you can you cannot make it to there but this package will guard <laughs> it with your life and you know and he's just like is the package there uh-huh it's right there you guys are you're pulling up with it right now okay let me know when you get inside with the package. Is everyone there? Is everyone there? Okay. I want you to insert the tape into the... And <laughs> so it's so dramatic and just so like, oh my gosh. And, and and you're like, oh, what an asshole. What an asshole. Yeah, the funny thing is was that box was like three foot by three foot. Yeah. And then the guy opens it and this little VHS tape like drops out. Yeah. <laughs> And, and he's there. so excited. Guys, we're going to want to see this. Guys, turn that off. We're going to watch this. And he's like so excited. You can tell he's got a huge chubby. He's just like, oh, Millie <laughs> uh, uh, Mitchell's sent this for us. Everyone's quiet, quiet. Put the pizza down. <laughs> In reverence. Oh, we got Don Kong. Uh, of course, the famous line from this uh, uh, documentary is, uh, we got a Don Kong kill screen coming up. Everyone. Don Kong kill screen is about to happen. We got a Don Kong kill screen. <laughs> like he's he's like walking around the arcade. Oh, we got a Don Kong kill screen coming up. They won't see it. Don Kong kill screen. And then the thing that kills me is they'll sit there and talk to him while he's playing this. They'll sit there and like breathe in his ear. Yeah. You know, are you going to the kill screen? I think you're going to make it to the kill screen. What do you think? You're going to make it to the kill screen? I think you're going to make it to the kill yeah, screen. Yeah, they're doing it. Tell him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're, like they're trying to get in his head. <laughs> I know. Another standout moment is the second time he goes to break the record, um, uh, Billy Mitchell actually shows up. And so he's in the middle of playing the game and Billy Mitchell walks in with his like, I don't know, like Florida stripper girlfriend or something like that. And, you know, he's dressed and he's skulking around the back. And just kind of like pacing around, he'll glance over the side of it. And it is, it does make it a little bit as a viewer. You're like, this is kind of tense. This is kind of intense. He's like this dark presence in this thing. And he's just there trying to intimidate Steve, poor little Steve Weeby. I, I feel like, like maybe if you, if you knew, okay. So there were some parts in this that, that 
portrayed Billy Mitchell as is not a bad guy. Like the whole part where he was helping that that older lady with her Qbert yeah score sure and and he was he somehow was like taking her on a plane to to do this which was i guess her life or, or, or a long time dream of hers to compete for cubert and he was it seemed like he was sponsoring her and he was kind of helping her so it, it seems like if you knew billy mitchell he he wasn't maybe such a bad guy but just the way he was the way he he saw Steve Weeby is such a threat to his, to his identity, you know, and, and Steve Weeby kind of had like an attitude. I was like, Hey man, this is fun for me. You know, this, this isn't my life. I, I am not this, you know, I do this cause it, I, it's fun and I, you know, it's a challenge, but you know, Weeby had a family. Like you said, he played drums, he played piano. He was a musician. He was like a, coach he played softball i mean he had a life and but this was the center of billy mitchell's identity yeah you know and and um and just i i wish he you know i guess it's not i mean in a perfect world i mean gosh he wouldn't have seemed like such a cold-hearted dude if he just would have loosened up a little bit you know yeah yeah, but I can't. I can't that, stand guys like. I, you're right. There were some moments you're like, okay, underneath it's all. But I mean, no one's not completely evil or good. But right, he right. just he would be. I would say he would be a hard guy to get along with. Yeah, yeah. I, he'd just be annoying. I'm yeah. sure he'd just be really annoying. <laughs> yeah, but I can see him be kind of generous to his friends and stuff. You know, I can see him being in the podcasting. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. You might have yeah, a podcast. I'd, I'd, I'd probably listen to that. He's probably been on a bunch of podcasts for sure. I bet he has. He loves talking about himself. So, oh yeah. I mean, you look at him, you can tell it's. Yeah, so bringing kind of full circle, I guess what I took away with this one from uh, our last gamer set, as far as how these this kind of world is portrayed in pop culture, is. Uh, this one is like warts and all, as opposed to Scott Pilgrim, which is a very stylized, cool, hip version of, of gamers in pop culture. Maybe how gamers would like to see themselves. Um, this one is uh, warts and all. And I think, to be fair, that I think the the documentary might lean into that a little bit more. They might make the world at least in my opinion, from a little bit more pathetic looking than it is uh, from the outside based on what they chose to show. But it certainly is a very down-to-earth, real look at people who are obsessed with this this stuff and have built a community around yeah. it and have made friends around it and and... Uh, it's a major part of their lives uh, as opposed to like, oh, it's this cool hobby I'm into. I like indie bands and I like video games and I like vintage clothing. Right, right. There's there's still a difference <clears throat> um, between the guys that are like really into like model train building and the guys that are that go to like Comic Con, mm -hmm. you know, 
or there's a difference between the guys that go to Comic-Con and the people that actually go and buy comic books at a comic book store. Yeah. You know, and, and I think to people who aren't into any kind of culture like that, yeah, I think that you can see this documentary, go, dude, those guys are so pathetic losers, you know, but everybody that's like into something <clears throat> kind of sees a little themselves. bit of themselves yeah. in this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, because I remember when comic, when the comic cons used to be at, you know, uh, the best Western off of like the I-10 and like the, the, one of the ballrooms or whatever, or, you know, uh, I used to go to like a mall where they had, uh, like sports cards and comics like at once a month. And that was like my big, you know, that was the con, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, things have changed in a way, but in a way it's still, there's still people like that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still people in the comics that are like these guys in this movie, yeah. you know, guys that are in a star Wars that are like these guys in this movie. <clears throat> yeah. yeah Elitist almost, but you're right. I think that that's what this movie offers. It offers a, a place to kind of see yourself in this community, even if it's not your community, if you've, if you have a community mm -hmm. built around a, a niche interest of yours, even a sports fan, like if you're really into the Packers and you travel with a team and wear cheese blocks on your head on games, you know, that that's a community as well. It's not limited just to arts and entertainment. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, so True. next, our next episode in our set, we're going to be taking a look at uh, Ernest Klein's novel, Ready Player Two. And it'll be interesting to see our, our main protagonist, Wade, <laughs> Uh, to see where he falls. Because right now we have kind of, I wouldn't say it's two opposite ends of the spectrum, but we have this kind of cool hip version <laughs> of a gamer. We have this kind of more reality, uh, uh, homegrown version of uh, of a gamer, like your local gamer in your local community. And it'll be interesting to see where Wade falls in this these kind of in, in between, or maybe he'll set up a new marker for us as far as uh, a type of gamer we're seeing portrayed in pop culture. Interesting, interesting perspective, yeah. But we'll have to wait till next episode, next set to figure that out. So for Pop Bonsai Podcast, I am Travis. Over here across from me is Jay, and we will catch you on the next Pop Wave. Bonsai!